Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome in and welcome back from the bye week. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz, bit of a dreary uh, damp, cooler day in State College here on a Thursday afternoon, and uh, it feels like that weather when, when the football season starts to get to a more important phase, certainly appropriate for Penn State as they get ready to embark on Big Ten action, kickoff on a Friday night, uh, just as they opened the season last year in, in Big Ten play at Illinois on a Friday evening, and that will be the, the case in College Park Friday. I will be there Mark Brennan will be there. Uh, Sean will be uh, at the at the helm at our control center here in State College. Uh, and Sean, Big Ten actions here. We're going to start to learn more about Penn State, and we're going to start to learn more about Maryland, who's already had their share of ups and downs so far in 2019. Yeah, that might be an understatement. Maryland came out of the out of the gates really, really active, uh, over 70 points per game in their first two, and then you put on that Temple Maryland game like I did this week, and it was just like jumping into an ice bath. I mean, it was bad, bad football. Um, so not really sure what you're going to get. Of course, they, they blew out Syracuse two weeks ago, which is, you know, not, not as good as we thought they may be coming into the season. But still, I mean, they, they put up a ton of points on a on an FBS team and, and sort of ran them out of the stadium. So not really sure which Maryland's going to show up. If it's the Maryland that showed up against Temple, that's a good thing, certainly. But uh, I guess we'll see on Friday night. Yeah, if, the, if it's the Maryland team that showed up against Temple, then then this should not be as big of a test as as Pitt was. And by the way, I'm sure you've heard, went on to beat Central Florida. Make of that what you will, but it certainly does not hurt the, the way that Penn State's early season schedule shapes up, uh, at least from a national perspective. And, and Sean, 8 p.m. kickoff down in Maryland. We're going to talk about you know Maryland's situation and, and, and what that environment le- might be like when we get into this game a little bit more. Uh, but both these teams coming off bye weeks. Um, Penn State 3-0, we, we broke down it with an hour-plus long show last week, kind of where things stood at the bye week, uh, but they get to a point now where uh, it's time for them to, to turn things up a notch, and, and you look at across the Big Ten, we're already seeing teams be exposed. Michigan, um, I'm sure as our listeners are well aware, got rocked by Wisconsin, ran out of the game essentially 28 nothing deep into the second half, and now all of a sudden Jim Harbaugh is being viewed in a very different light by Wolverines fans now, and and you wonder how that's going to turn out for the Big Ten East Division. But uh, very quickly, you know, we could see Penn State rise to the occasion or we could see them kind of get you know, slapped in the face and, and, and find out a stark reality. Uh, but these are the kind of games early where you continue to try to build your case as a team on the rise. And again, all around you, you see some teams were not up to task. Well, you're going to sneak this one past me because to our, our bye weeks were very different from a football uh, aspect. I, of course, uh, got out of town and did not see the Michigan, um, uh, the Wisconsin beating, I guess we can call it, until uh, Wisconsin was up 14 nothing. You, on the other hand, went to Rutgers Boston College. I know that's meaningful for you. and. Hey, you're just a glutton for punishment, but uh, no, it's just uh, bye week Saturdays are great, man. Uh, and there's another one in a couple of weeks, so uh, I can't uh, can't wait for that one. But 
yeah, I mean, it's just the, the, the landscape of the Big Ten is really interesting right now. You can't take a week off. Not saying that's what Michigan did. I've been saying it since before the season. I think Michigan, uh, from a talent standpoint, is not the team that people were, were projecting them to be the playoff. They were, that's not them. They were uh, you know, above average, I think, is going to be that. Josh Gaddis and, and Jim Harbaugh don't look like a particularly productive marriage so far. So that changes things in the East. Of course, you know, you've got you've always got Michigan State right there. Ohio State looks really good. Wisconsin looks really good. I mean, it, it, if you could draw it up right now, Ohio State and Wisconsin, obviously the odds on favorite to meet in Indy once again in December. So it, it's it's a really interesting thing. But there's a, you know, when everything uh, goes down like it's going down, there's certainly an opportunity for, for Penn State to slip up and or to step up and, and slip into uh, a spot higher into the standings. So we'll see how that goes. And, and it all starts on Friday night. Penn State can't afford to come out slow. The atmosphere looks like it's going to be a good one. Um, you know, Despite the loss to Temple, Maryland fans still pumped about this game, really uh, psyched to come out. I think it was a blackout or something like that. Of course, an, an evening game, different kind of atmosphere for everyone. So it's going to be a, a really interesting um, approach for Penn State to see how they can handle going into what what could be, and you don't say that a lot, but Maryland could be a hostile environment for them. By the way, back at SHI Stadium on Saturday, uh, one of the top cheers of the day, except probably when Sikowski was getting punched in the end zone, uh, was when Michigan, uh, the highlights came on and they were down 21-0, then 28-0. People of Piscataway really enjoyed, enjoyed that. I think people around the country at this point, Jim Harbaugh has his detractors and it's performances like these, Last year against Ohio State, some of these high-profile bowl games where they just don't seem to show up, and it's it's just remarkable how that's becoming a trend and how the perception there. Can we talk about punching Sitkowski in the face? I mean, what, did, did you see that live? It had to be it had to be one of the best moments, and probably the no. best moment of the season. But. My, my old my old buddy that uh, used to work with elsewhere, uh, Sanjay Karpalani, tweeted me the uh, really quickly the gif of it. I don't know how it's available so fast. I guess it was all all over social media. I didn't see it in person, uh, but then I focused on my phone for about two consecutive drives in that game, just watching that on replay with my wife. So. Yeah. Um, got to entertain yourself somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Got to celebrate touchdowns somehow when you can. And uh, so meanwhile, what's going on at Penn State? Uh, number 12 in the AP poll that just came out on Sunday. Ahead of them in the Big Ten, you got Ohio State. Uh, number five, Wisconsin. Number eight, Iowa's ranked. Michigan State is ranked. Uh, Michigan is number 20 now. They, they've dropped quite a bit, but all those teams still ahead on the schedule. Um, the big talk of the town, or as Jay one Sider called it on uh, Wednesday, the million-dollar question around Happy Valley is, what is Penn State's running back uh, rotation going to look like moving ahead? It has been such a high-profile position for Penn State historically. More recently, a superstar there with Saquon Barkley. Miles Sanders was the second tr- player drafted at that position earlier this year in the NFL. And, of course, we know the recruiting success. So, you got four really imp- uh, impressive prospects and, and guys who are still looking to prove themselves. And we went straight to the source with Jay Wan on, on Wednesday, and he's about as transparent as you'll find from a, a member of this coaching staff at this point in the season. Uh, and I, I just want to go through some of the history here, Sean. But uh, again, this is the question that's coming up really first at every scrum, first at every press conference. And I think it's the one that you and I are hearing most probably on social media when you open up the mailbag or whatnot. It is, what's the plan moving forward with these running backs? And people seem to really dislike one guy. Other people seem to really uh, beat the drum for another guy. It's 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 a little more divisive than I anticipated, to be honest. It's very divisive. I mean, you've got your guys that have everyone. I mean, of course, Ricky Slade came into the, into the season as the starter. He put the football on the ground a couple of times. Now, all of a sudden, people want to throw him off to the side. And, you know, he can still be a talented guy. He showed what he could do in that catch and run last week. Uh, did a really good job. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just don't think there's that. 
that much of a difference in all these guys. I think the biggest thing is there's just no rhythm to it right now. And, and you want to see these guys get into it. And we mentioned the, the drive with Noah Kane last week where you, you know, essentially sat him after he had a very productive drive. And I get what they did in the next drive. And they brought the, the two running backs set out where you got Brown and, and Slade in the backfield to do that. And I get why they do that. But, you know, I still think we should have seen more. I think it, it, it's probably not so much the rotation. I think it's more the Penn state says they're going to go with the hot hand. And that's certainly something they haven't done yet. So, um, What's the right answer? I still don't think we know. Um, I don't think that, uh, you know, pulling or, or, or keeping one of these guys off the field, a Ford or a Kane, uh, to, to preserve a red shirt is a good idea right now. I think you just keep playing these guys and see who breaks out. And, you know, maybe maybe this is something that they can benefit from there later on in the season, a little bit fresh and, and, and go from there. So um, I, I do think, again, three is better than four, no doubt about it. But, I mean, I, I haven't seen one guy do something willing of being chopped. And that's the that's the way to look at it right now from my vantage point. And what we keep hearing from Franklin and also from Cider is there haven't been one guy who has sprinted ahead of the pack to this point. And, but you also uh, have seen flashes from each one of these guys. But, you know, we've speculated a lot and we, we've kind of tried to, to parse through it. But J1 Cider, again, kind of gave us plenty of information here that stuff that we had kind of anticipated and stuff that we had kind of gathered from past conversations, but uh, much more straightforward here. He says, uh, Ricky Slade came out of the spring playing tremendously, had that job pretty tightly, but Journey Brown kept pushing along the way to Brown's credit, came back uh, from that suspension in the summer, uh, continued to push Slade, and, and Slater said it came down to one particular scrimmage you know, during training camp in August where he just felt like Journey Brown was not up to the task at that time as assessed by Slater. You saw Ricky Slade get the first looks in the first couple games. Uh, and then Journey Brown now uh, kind of supplanted him in that first team role, though everybody is, is listed with that or designation. And then he has to mention Kane. You know, he had some young guy moments is what Sider said, making mistakes that you just can't make. But you do make those mistakes when you're first on campus. Uh, and the biggest thing with him is steady improvement. And, and he says Kane is the guy who is football, 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 football. And I think, you know, some people will view that and say, that's not necessarily the best approach to take. It might not help with your perspective, but Noah Kane has kind of exuded that 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 kind of mindset since I started talking to him as a sophomore in high school. He has had that mindset. Your, his comments on National Signing Day about where he wanted this opportunity to eventually take him to a professional career, he wasn't. He was very transparent about that. So Noah Kane, a matter of fact kind of player. But the thing here is, you mentioned in a perfect world three-man rotation. That's exactly the way that that Slater phrased it. In a perfect world, he, he was kind of anticipating a three-man setup, but Devin Ford forced their hand. Uh, the early flashes from him, he said, that kind of threw a wrench into the situation. Those are, those are Slater's words, not mine. And Ford, he said, does some unhuman things on the football field with his ability to cut and how he can pivot off of his toes. Um, we've already heard comparisons from a mentality standpoint from Slater regarding Ford with Saquon Barkley. Now we're starting to hear some similar things about how we can change the game in the open field. And you just, who are you cutting out of this group? Who are you telling, take a seat, uh, pack it in until somebody gets hurt? And, and that's what they're faced with now. And Slater, again, Candid said it has been difficult. It has been a challenge. And it's something that he hasn't necessarily dealt with before 
with four players, particularly with the scheme they're using, Sean. He said in the past when he's had multiple kind of NFL-level running backs, uh, they've been able to implement them in 20 personnel where you've got two running backs in the field at the same time, got three receivers. Uh, you know, but, but how do you make that work here? You, if you've got two guys, you want to get on the football field, do you think they're, they're two of your best playmakers? Well, who are you taking off? Are you taking Pat Fryermuth off the football field? Uh, are you taking Jahan Dotson off the football field? So those are the questions that you have to consider all here. But I think we, I think everyone's really in agreement when you look across the board and go four deep. They're in a great spot at running back, and and there are there is motivation to find different schemes, different formations that are going to put two of those guys in the field at the same time. But two of them again are freshmen, and the other two have played limited games in an expanded role. So everybody's learning on the fly here. And it's difficult to kind of do that. But you know, Penn State staff has made it their mission to go this direction. And, and the onus is on them to kind of navigate the course. Yeah, I agree. And, and like I said, I don't think the, the gap from one to four is all that big. You've seen Slade put the ball on the ground. Haven't seen a ton from Ford, but they turned to him first uh, after Journey Brown's long run against Pitt. Um, he was the guy that scored the touchdown, so I think they're confident in him as well. Um, I think that's the uh, he's been he's kind of been the guy everyone's writing off. Everybody's you know putting Slade on the back burner because of the fumbles, and I get that, but I don't think Ford has showed anything that would keep him off the field. And he had the big run against uh, and the big game against Idaho, but you know that's that is what it is. So um, interested to see where this continues to go, how it's going to cut into everyone's workload and carries and everything like that. We'll see if if Ricky Slade does get back on track because I think he can still be a productive player and, and get things done. But I just don't don't see a reason to redshirt any running backs anymore. I know Jay Wan Sider talked about the value of, of Journey Brown's redshirt, but you know I think that, that you're working with some different cards here. So um, it'd be interesting to see which uh, which direction that they go in this. But I, I don't think this rotation thing is is really close to being over. No, and we'll, we'll see what it looks like. They've had a couple of weeks to iron things out, um, you know, and and you know I, you, people are going to anticipate. Uh, maybe just uh, things looking a little bit less dissected uh, you know, uh, from drive to drive to drive and, and maybe a little bit more flow to it based on who is that hot hand. It's, again, what Franklin referenced this week. And obviously, if we see a similar situation where it's Noah Kane or Devin Ford or really any of these four guys and they come out and they touch the ball six times on a drive and that produces 50 yards, they find the end zone. And you think, oh, you got a nice rhythm going. And then all of a sudden that guy's gone for a quarter or for the rest of the game. Again, this is always going to be the question. Sider said it. You know, the, the talk about our backfield has been, why don't you find a way to utilize more guys? We know it's been very dominated by uh, Miles Sanders last year and then the three years previous. Saquon Barkley had, you know, 200-plus touches more than everybody. Uh, but he says, you know, now the conversation has swung and everybody's going to still have a question. And it's saying, well, are you using this guy enough and are you using this guy enough? And they're trying to find that balance. And with four players, that, that's that's a big task. But, of course, there is a lot more going on with Penn State. I think the other thing to, to focus in on here is – uh, they are not doing anything to dial down the expectations for this defensive front, Sean. Uh, James Franklin you know, made it a point to, to complement his defense, the way it's performed, uh, especially with its back against the goal line. On occasions, obviously, you know, the, the scoreboard reflects the way the defense has handled itself. Three touchdowns allowed through three games. The last couple second halves when they needed to, they stepped up in a big way. Uh, but generating that pass rush is important. And from what we saw from heard from players this week, um, you know, it reiterated that they heard the challenge from James Franklin. You can guarantee they heard a challenge uh, from Sean Spencer and, and, and Brent Pry, certainly. Uh, Cam Brown says he believes it's going to be a point of pride. P.J. Mustafer says, uh, you know, they have a lot more to unleash. And I think that's also going to come from a schematic standpoint as well. I think we'll find them maybe implementing some other ways to get into the backfield. And I think that involves the entire front seven. 
Yeah, I, I think it's about challenging the right people. And Penn State's front four is very talented. Um, you know, no matter which sort of rotation you have in there, Penn State's front four is very talented. And yeah, they probably should be getting a little bit more pressure. We talked about it in the, in the second look is that they did a really, really nice job controlling the line of scrimmage against Pittsburgh, of course, with the run game. Um, but the, the, the lack of pressure or perceived lack of pressure came from, you know, letting Kenny Pickett get out and about. And, and to me, that's, you know, a little bit of overpenetration from the defensive tackle the defensive ends getting up the field and all of a sudden he's got a window in front of him where he's got all day to look he's got you know he can see his running lanes very well so I think that's the pressure you got to keep somebody in front of the quarterback and we'll talk about uh, Josh Jackson doing that uh, a little bit later in the show um, but yeah, I think the the opportunity is there for the defensive line. He knows how talented they are. I think they know how talented they are. They've got an opportunity to to step up in another game where you expect the running game to be the focal point for uh, uh, for Maryland, even though it was not for Pitt. Uh, eventually, we learned that it was not for Pitt. Um, but no, they they've got an opportunity to do that, and I think that the it's going to start with the defensive tackles. We talk about how. Um, how talented the ends are and, and, you know, how effective they've been in, in the past. But the defensive tackles, I think the matchup with the interior offensive line of Maryland does still favor the defensive tackles. Defensive tackles really beat up Pitt's interior offensive line last week. So uh, curious to see how those guys handle everything. There's a, a new guy at right guard uh, for the Terps, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I think that a uh, lot's on Windsor and Shelton and, and Mustafer and, and whoever that fourth guy is, Fred Hansard steps up uh, like he did against Pitt. I think there's a lot of potential for, for a big game from those guys, even though the, the stats may not say it. They have an opportunity to contribute to that pass rush. And when they go to a third down and they move Gross Matos in the interior, I think he's got an opportunity to, to have a big game, to have a bounce back game. And, you know, he, he started off the season pretty well. And then, to, you know, it's really quiet against Pitt. But they've got an opportunity to do that. And then one of my key matchups, and I apologize, I keep coughing, uh, but one of my key matchups, Shaka Tony against Jalen Duncan. Jalen Duncan's a redshirt freshman, going to start his third game, I believe, this season. He struggled with speed on the outside. Shaka Tony happens to have speed on the outside. So I think it's a good opportunity for this defensive line to come back and sort of balance out their run to pass. Really good against the run against Pitt. A solid pass rush effort against Pitt, but they let uh, Kenny Pickett get away a couple times. Now you got to balance that out a little bit more, and that, that comes by improving that pass rush. We'll find out if they can finish off uh, those plays in the backfield you know, for losses and setting up those long third downs. It certainly is going to help your case in, in building on a, a better third down conversion rate and getting your offense back on the field quickly. Uh, you, know, you mentioned the fact that uh, the defensive line rotation is going. One note on the depth chart this week, Fred Hansard, uh, the number two guy coming off of the bye met last year, losing the second half of the season uh, to an injury, worked his way back. He's a guy who I thought uh, you know played very well in the pick game. He was involved in that goal line package for a big stand, and he's earned his way up the depth chart a bit here, and also making their first appearance on the depth chart, C.J. Holmes as a third-string safety. He's a, a player transferred from Notre Dame early in 2018 played running back on the scout team last year while taking a red shirt after that transfer he is not on scholarship he is at safety now and he is now on the depth chart so just some housekeeping notes there Sean as we jump into Maryland now um, this is a team that certainly was feeling a lot different about themselves uh, as the, their bye week approached and uh, just an ugly ugly matchup at Temple where both teams really gifted each other the games on different occasions you could probably put together uh, an interesting collage of highlights or lowlights from this game that that show you know fumbles in the end zone, safeties. Maryland had got points off of two different safeties, uh, but I, I do wonder if they were looking past that matchup. You know, if you're Maryland, 
you know, you're the ranked for the first time since 2013. Everybody's already talking about the environment that is waiting back home on your campus against Penn State in a national game on a Friday night. Uh, big chance to make your statement, but you kind of forget you still got to go up to Philadelphia and play a Temple team that's, you know, averaged about eight, eight and a half wins over the past five years. And uh, I think it turned into just an absolute mess for them. They didn't seem like they were prepared for that game. They didn't execute well, really, in any department. Um, and just a sloppy way for them to slide right on out of that top 25 and made it their very brief appearance, their only appearance in the top 25 as a Big Ten team to this point. And, you know, you have to imagine this, it's still going to be an opportunity for a showcase. It's still going to be an opportunity for a statement game, and, and they can try to make some noise to their local recruits in this matchup, but not the the way they thought they'd be walking into this. I think they thought they'd be striding into this game with their heads held high and all of a sudden, people are wondering if, if you know, if their win over uh, Syracuse was a bit of a farce. And uh, 42 wins in the first half against Syracuse, nothing to sneeze at. That was a ranked team. Uh, but that Temple that Temple game and that performance leaves a lot of lingering questions uh, for this squad. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I watched a little bit of Syracuse this week and then a lot of Temple. And it took me a couple of days to get through the Temple film. I had to take a nap midway through. It was just uh, that that's how bad it was. Um, but it, it was just it was so interesting to see. When Maryland was rolling against Syracuse, I mean, they're, they're hitting big plays and they're getting to where they needed to go. And this is a very streaky team. This is a very streaky, um, runs really hot, runs really cold team. And we saw both uh, over a two-week span, we saw both of those things. So they, they can put points on the board. We saw them do it against, they scored 51 against Ohio State last year. I mean, they obviously have the ability to do so. It all starts with their running backs and Anthony McFarlane and Javon Leak, a really good run, a pair of really good running backs. Um you know, Josh Jackson, we'll, we'll talk about him at quarterback, but what happened in Temple, and it, it's pretty clear, Temple just came out and smacked him in the mouth. They were not prepared for that at all. Don't know if it was overconfidence. Don't know if it was just waiting for something to happen. Sometimes when you've got young teams that that sort of try and put some things together and have a little success that, you know, it's, some, some, some chips fall the right way, and that doesn't always happen. So I think they were kind of waiting for that to happen. Didn't come through. Temple was physical up front on both sides of the ball, and that's really a window that I could see Penn State having some success. And uh, it's it's interesting because you watch Penn State uh, up front against Buffalo. You watch them against Pitt. A lot of uh, man versus just a lot of numbers mismatches where Penn State's trying to block five or six with five, or you know Pitt's leaving or Buffalo's leaving a tight end into chip and a running back in and everything like that. Maryland, you know, even even though you saw the Temple pressure and you saw that Temple was was having some success on offense, Maryland really didn't change much and they didn't really try to to outman the other side. So be interested to see if that's a, a formula that they use after watching the Buffalo tape and the Pitt tape. But Penn State's got an opportunity this week to control the line of scrimmage, both on offense and on defense. I'm not saying uh, on offense they have to push anybody back five yards, but, but you know, they, they did a pretty good job against Pitt last week or two weeks ago or when, whenever it was. The buys got me all messed up. Um, but, uh, yeah, Penn State has an opportunity to be the more physical side, and if they can do that, I think that this can go from um, sort of a, a really, really uh, – raucous atmosphere to uh, something that gets quiet really quick because I don't think that Maryland has the overall depth to hang with a team like Penn State for four quarters. They certainly can jump on them. And that's one of the things that I talk about in a piece that I have coming up later today on Lions 24-7 is that they can jump on them and they can score quickly, uh, but they have to sustain that over four quarters. And I think that's something that Maryland will struggle with uh, just based on the makeup of the roster. And the start of Mike Loxley's career down there in College Park couldn't have gone much better. I mean, that, that start, winning 79 nothing against anyone, Howard, okay. 
but that Syracuse game, I think, you know, you, when you're a new coach and you got a, a student base and an alumni base who've been kind of searching for reasons to smile about their football program, they're going to attach to you pretty quick when they see any early signs of magic. And, and they had that cooking a little bit. And again, they had this game kind of waiting for them at the end of the month where it looked like it could be their still their big breakout game. I do wonder, you know, in terms of the people who are packing this stadium on the Maryland side, I, how much of a benefit of the doubt are they going to give this team? I think if they came into this game 3-0, looked decent beating Temple, you know, they could fall behind 14 points, 17 points in this game, and, and you kind of still feel there might be some hope. I, I do think there's a short leash. There's a, there's a limited benefit of the doubt where if Penn State gets rolling, you know, and they're able to establish a, a solid cushion, if the fans check out a little bit, all of a sudden that atmosphere isn't really apparent. You start to hear the we are chants from the road crowd. We've seen it happen before. Happened last year against Pitt after, you know, Pitt delivered their early punch in that first half. It was close. Penn State got cooking. Pitt couldn't keep up, and all of a sudden it went from a nice atmosphere for the home team to uh, Nittany Lions fans celebrating an opposing bleacher. So I think there is definitely a snowball effect that could go into it, but that's going to be up to Penn State. It's not like we've seen Penn State the last couple of weeks against FBS opponents come out of the gates and, and you know look sharp and, and look like they were ready to roll. Yeah, and I think that the the things that James Franklin breaks down, it, you know, the penalty battle, the explosive play battle, and especially especially the turnover battle, uh, gonna gonna be huge. I, I can foresee a slow first half from both sides on the Friday night kick and something new, and you know, maybe it maybe Maryland comes in a little overjuiced and 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 might cost them a little bit, but it's just going to be interesting. The turnover is what I look to. Josh Jackson, the Virginia Tech quarterback, uh, you put on that Temple tape, and that was not his finest day. I mean, he was throwing game. I mean, he probably should have had a couple of more interceptions. Um, but uh, it's just when you make him think, and, and we've talked to this about Sean Clifford as well. When you make these quarterbacks think and go through their progressions, they're you know obviously take their they don't have the experience. One doesn't have the experience as a starter. The other doesn't have the experience in a system, and and you can see that. And you know that uh, whichever team protects the ball, and this is a very simple way of putting it, but whichever team protects the ball is going to get out of there with a win on Friday night. Clifford's done a very good job of it so far. Josh Jackson has not. Um, so you, you put a little pressure on Jackson from a Penn State perspective. You put a little pressure on him. You make him look around and, and trying to do some things. He's not great at going through his project pro- progressions. He missed some really easy checkdowns last week. They're going to try and get the ball out of uh, out of his hands as, as early as possible. But if they get behind and they have to throw, that's going to be a, a really interesting matchup because he puts the ball in some dangerous spots, looked really bad against Temple. Yeah, I would say that Jackson, to this point in his career, hasn't shown to be a guy who's going to lift his team, rally his team, um, you know, in a, maybe a comeback situation. But then again, uh, didn't see what Kenny Pickett was going to do coming a couple Saturdays ago, and he stepped up. So you never know when a young quarterback is going to, you know, take that opportunity. Uh, but Jackson does have experience. Uh, people are going to know he's he's new to Maryland. He, he played a lot of football for Virginia Tech before he transferred in, and pretty early on so far, these transfers had paid off uh, for Maryland. Uh, obviously, Keandre Jones on defense has, has been really impressive for them. Uh, coming from Ohio State, they've got Shaq Smith, another linebacker from Clemson, and, and here you've got the quarterback from Virginia Tech. I I don't know the Sean though is he is he the best Virginia Tech transfer in this game? I don't think he is. Um, Virginia Tech did have a scholarship for him. They but, had a scholarship uh, for the quarterback, right? He, yeah. What's interesting is is Maryland's return game not bad. They've got Jay, they put Javon Leak back there, and he's uh, one of their uh, really good running backs. So they have an opportunity to do that. If you take him completely out of the game with Jordan Stout, then that that certainly helps. And and that's another thing um, pointing to key matchups is that. 
you know, uh, Maryland special teams really aren't that good. And they've been splitting guys with punting. They've, uh, I think they've kicked off 25 times and there's three touchbacks. So that's a couple extra touches for KJ Hamler, maybe an opportunity to break a big one on the road, which, uh, you know, could end up being a backbreaker. So I think it's, um, it, it's one of those situations where Jordan Stout will, will certainly have, uh, you know, if Penn State's scoring, Jordan Stout will certainly have a, an impact and could end up being the better Virginia Tech transfer in this game. And yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Javon Leak, you know, he's a guy you do not want to get loose. He seems to be uh, their player who only needs five or six uh, touches to get about 60, 60 70 yards. Um, as a very impressive uh, special teams returner. We know that they faced off against one of those last week w- with Maurice French, and, and they did a nice job of not making him an issue in the kickoff game because of Stout's uh, ability to just boot the ball out of the end zone. Um, in this one, though, it starts for me you know, in the backfield alongside Jackson, who, and I think Jackson is the most confident quarterback Maryland's had in this particular matchup in recent years in the series. Um, so I, I think that's an upgrade for, for Maryland going into this game against Penn State, um, and, and it's a reason why I think they'll score more than three points this time around. Uh, but I do think Anthony McFarland is the guy who can make them go he's the guy that can that can break a game uh, change the dynamics of the game he could have really gone anywhere he wanted uh coming up through high school he, i thought he was one of the best uh, running backs in his class out at the opening that year guy who can catch the ball and run with it uh he he, he can deliver back-breaking plays and he's the one you want to watch i think uh, in the short passing game we know how the screens have been an issue for penn state him leak in the same boat uh, i think there's a lot of weaponry out of that offensive backfield and i think it's the best group collectively they face through this young season out of the backfield. Yeah, it all starts with the backfield there for for Maryland. Anthony McFarland is is really good. I think the the biggest thing to watch with McFarland and Leak is that backside pursuit. When they you know they can get going to one direction and then make a cut back, and then all of a sudden they're 15 yards down the field. I mean they're really good at uh, you know finding that space. I think McFarland's good. He was a Dematha kid, broke his leg in his senior year, basically cost him his senior year and uh, his true freshman year at Maryland. But yeah, he he does that. What's interesting to me is I think these guys could be really effective in the passing game, but they've got six catches between the two of them. They really haven't done a ton um, so far. They haven't run many screens. I'm not sure that um, Maryland's offensive line is built to get out in front of this or ahead of the screen game. Um, but we'll talk about them in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, these, these running backs are basically where the, uh, the focus is. And if you're looking at the potential for Maryland to score a couple times early, it's just like that Ohio State game last year. McFarland got loose. McFarland got around that defense and he can run away from him. He's a really good player. I think McFarland is the best single player that Penn State has faced to this point in the season. Um, one of the better ones they'll face, quite frankly, all season again. Uh, I think people are going to think Maryland's got a lot of three stars. You know, they've had some decent recruiting pickups, and he's maybe at the top of that list. And a quick reminder, what he did last year for, uh, I believe they were four and six at the time, Maryland team against a top 10 Ohio State team. He had 21 carries, 298 rushing yards two touchdowns on the ground. And I remember us all gathered at the at the Rutgers uh, visiting media room with James Franklin thinking, does he have one more play in him? And he was something special that day. So again, he is someone who can just, if you don't contain him, uh, then, then it's really going to be a long, long evening for you. And, and, and he's the guy that with Josh Jackson, I think that that builds his case a little bit uh, in terms of, of someone who you can't completely key in, in on him, I think, as much as you could this time last year. And, and Penn State bottled, bottled them up last year. I mean, yep. McFarland, I think, had six carries. Uh, the team as a whole, I think, uh, carried 36 times for 78 yards. So did a really good job shutting down that run game. And, of course, you know, the game got away from them. They had to pass a little bit more. But this is a team that wants to stick with the run as, as long as they possibly can. So 
We'll see what happens there. Mention that offensive line, and it's uh, it took a hit. Terrence Davis, another Dematha kid, is out for I think four to six weeks, as reported by Inside uh, MD Sports, our, our uh, uh, sister site on the twenty four seven Sports Network. Um, so it's going to have an impact. Ellis McKenney, who's a McDonough kid, is going to step in at right guard. He started at left tackle a game this year. It's kind of a, more of a utility man than a than a uh, one guy. But this is not a physical offensive line. This is a group that that, that was stoned twice at the goal line um, by Temple a couple of weeks ago. And really just a lack of physicality all around. Uh, they've got some big guys. They've got some guys that can move. Um, but honestly, if, if they don't get your hand, their hands on you, uh, they struggled. And, and Temple was able to, to get four sacks on Josh Jackson, also flush him out of the pocket a little bit more, also able to get their hands up and knock down four or five balls uh, at the line of scrimmage. So I think that the, the, we go back to Penn State's defensive line and what they can do. I think they can really impose some will on that offensive line. Uh, it's tough to say, you know, where they're at as a group, but honestly, losing Davis uh, sh- showcases the lack of depth that they have up front. They've got some guys that I think can be pro guys, can be NFL guys eventually. I look at Jalen Duncan on the, at left tackle. Uh, he's struggled. They had to replace him with McKenney at one point. He struggled with speed, and he's probably going to be going up against Shaka Tony. So that's a tough matchup for a redshirt freshman who obviously struggles with speed. Yeah, this is, again, this seems like a very good matchup. And in, in every matchup this season, you're probably going to lean towards Penn State's defensive line because of what we anticipate from it and the kind of skill sets that are all across the board there. Uh, but this, you know, particularly seems like an area where if Penn State is able to to kind of turn this one into, uh, you know, a comfortable win, it's going to be because the defensive line did its job and kind of came out of the bye week and and delivered an emphatic statement, kind of planted that flag on the ground and, and, and build, building its identity. Um, and I think that it's very possible that happens. And, and, and you just wonder what it's going to look like for Jackson. You know, this is a, a team that he is still new to. This is a, a team that, you know, is coming off its first brush with adversity. And, and if, 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 if they're going... Uh, to deal with a bunch of it this game, and, and because of Jackson is flustered and Jackson is is beat down and knocked down and and scrambled around, uh, you know we don't know what, how Maryland's offense is going to respond to that. But again, I do know that they have a couple weapons there, and, and you can probably throw in the wide receiver Dante Dimas, who's a big play big play threat. You know the safety is going to have to play sound football if you're in pursuit of this quarterback, or you're you know and in, in, in you're and in you're investing too much, and you're no and, and all of a sudden you're drawn up. Uh, you know, I think they have the, the talent at running back and the talent at wide receiver to take you over the top and, and beat you with some speed as well. So uh, it's a fine line between wanting to, to, to go all out uh, and, and try to just batter Jackson. But you've got to have the comfort level that you can be able to contain those players downfield. And, uh, you know, we've seen some some springing some big plays sprung by teams like Buffalo uh, and, of course, against Pitt uh, in, in key situations across the middle and and, and small short passes that have led to, to major gains that are kind of backbreaking. I was on the Inside Maryland Sports podcast the other night with uh, with Jeff Ehrman and Josh Stern, and and I talked about Penn State struggling against the the screen game, and they're like, well, that's a coincidence because Maryland does not have a screen game either. So that's uh, it's certainly an interesting thing. We'll see if they pull that out this week. Um, but I think going back to what you said about the wide receivers, I'm not completely sold on this group. I think Demas has some potential. I think he's done some nice things, but I don't know that anybody's going to go over the top and get it done. They do a lot of short stuff where they make these guys, uh, you know, th- they throw it short. There's a lot of hitches, a lot of quick outs, uh, things that try and get the ball in those guys' hands to get them upfield. It is more of a move the sticks offense than it is a, a big play offense, uh, big play potential offense like you see with Penn State. Um, so that I think that'll play into it. 
Uh, just can't let anybody behind you. The safety play, I think, is going to be big. I think Maryland can can attack the seam with those tight ends that they you know are, are you know comfortable going with. Uh, they, they had a really nice play. I think for, it resulted in a touchdown for uh, for Maryland where they went up the seam, similar to what Pitt did on the fourth and one, where they did the play action and went uh, went over the top and that that tight end pop pass. Um, but no, I think Penn State's got an opportunity to to sort of dictate what Maryland's going to do. If they can stop that run game and put it in Josh Jackson's hands, that's good. And I think Brent Pry can have a little not not fun with this game, but can can mess with Jackson a little bit. The, the Jackson started off the Temple game. Harrison Hand, who was the Baylor transfer um, who came back to Temple, faked a blitz and he dropped right back into just a typical cover two, uh, you know, short uh, short zone. And uh, he just, I mean, Jackson threw it right to him. It was it was a bad-looking play. And then he almost did it again a couple of plays later, did the exact same thing. Jackson almost threw it to him again. So um, I'm not confident in Jackson's ability to, to handle uh, multi-tiered pressure. I think if you play a guy like Micah Parsons, like you played him last week against Pitt, um, they can really get some results. And I think the second-level blitzing is something that Penn State really can can uh, you know get to Jackson with. He's not the most agile guy back there. He will tuck it and run. He'll, t- he'll tuck it and run probably when he shouldn't at times as well. Um, but th- they have the ability to get to him this week, and I think that that, uh, that can be certainly a, a key matchup for the Nittany Lions. And something you also feel pretty good about if you're looking at Penn State's defense is the way they've tackled on the perimeter. Spoke with uh, Tariq Castro-Fields about this, that this week. And I think both him and John Reed have taken their games to a different level in that regard. Uh, it, it was a point of emphasis uh, you know, throughout the offseason for both. And, and really that entire group, we've seen Keaton Ellis come up in Papia. But this is a team where if you can kind of shut it down on the perimeter uh, and kind of eliminate uh, you know, three-yard gains from turning into first-down conversions, uh, you put yourself in a good situation to be able to rush the passer later on that set of downs. Uh, defensively, you're going to see a three-man front from Maryland. It, part of the transition with the new coaching staff. And, and Sean, uh, you talk about uh, transfers paying off. We mentioned a couple from Virginia Tech, but uh, the one out of Ohio State, Keandre Jones, uh, you know, three and a half sacks. I believe it's four and a half tackles for loss. Uh, he's made his mark in each of these first few Maryland games, and uh, he's certainly somebody who's going to want to continue to expand his profile now that he's got his breakout opportunity uh, back in Maryland. First off, with a 3-4, it's it's really tough to run a, a 3-4 defense in college if you don't have the personnel. Granted, Loxley comes from Alabama. They had some guys that are 340 pounds and run a 5-flat there that uh, they can play nose tackle, which you know, that's kind of a different ball game than what you're looking at with Maryland. Maryland's front is interesting because they you know they play a lot of two down linemen uh, they play a three four but it's a lot of two down linemen sometimes they bring in an extra safety I expect them to do that against Penn State not a lot of impact from that defensive line so far but you mentioned Keandre Jones this kid I like a lot um, he's a, I believe a good council kid uh, went to Ohio State of course transferred back to Maryland was eligible to play right away um, and he's done some nice things at outside backer I think it's a, he's kind of a guy that comes up and plays that zone read and you know he's, he's the one that makes the decisions and then he can get to the ball quick from there he gets after the quarterbacks got three and a half sacks on the season on the other side Shaq Smith's been a little bit banged up but he's a guy that played at Clemson so he knows what it takes to play at this level a couple of guys in the in the middle Allende Ely uh, another good counsel kid I believe and and uh, Chance Campbell is a Penn State, uh, uh, excuse me, not Penn State alum, Penn State legacy playing in the middle. So I like the linebackers. Uh, not a big fan of the defensive line. And the back four has had some issues with communication, with uh, handing guys off, and also with penalties. But those linebackers are a really solid group. I like them a lot. And I like the way that Antoine Brooks, uh, you know, steps up and, and kind of plays that, fills that linebacker role in the way he plays the game, charging down, and leads his team in tackles. Uh, and, and I think... Uh, Maryland's going to pose some issues for this offensive line, especially the way they rotate. Uh, you know, they're going. It's going to be 
uh, you know, another kind of opportunity to see where this offensive line is, uh, you know, especially who's comfortable with playing alongside each other. Uh, who knows what block to pass on? Who knows where they need to step up? Because, you know, you miss one against this defense and it could really cause some issues for you. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just the three, four defensive scheme and, and, and some of the talented guys they brought in. We're talking about, you know, high power level prospects who are just, a, you know, two or three years removed from, from being to those top level recruits, talented players, uh, Maryland, you know, there's a recruiting gap here, but they've got they've got some nice stabilizing players that they brought in via that transfer market, and I think defensively uh, it, it set them up pretty well. So um, you know, and that's going to be a, a you know shifting focus to Penn State, Sean. Uh, you know, a way for for Sean Clifford to again show that he has worked on that that footwork, showed he has worked on uh, you know maintaining his focus downfield when when things get flushed a little bit in the pocket and. Uh, you know, we'll talk about Penn State's keys to this game. We'll give our predictions in just a moment. Uh, but first, a quick commercial break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back. And uh, we're going to start with Sean Clifford when we start with Penn State. Uh, clearly, the quarterback is going to uh, lead this team uh, one way or the other. And, and if you want to be a great team that contends for a Big Ten championship, you're going to need a high-level quarterback play. Sean Clifford so far, a bit of a mixed bag. The six touchdowns look good. The, the no interceptions look great. Um, the performance against Pitt left a lot to be desired. And I think Sean, based on the conversation he had during the, the w- w- media session this week, uh, you know, he made it a point to say, you know, he, he dove in pretty hard on, on the self-critiquing. He, he mentioned his uh, footwork as an area that needs to be improved. And he just talked about basically continuing to establish trust and, and continuing to develop. Let's not forget, he's got three stars to his name. Uh, but, you know, we talked about a couple weeks ago, his first game under the lights against Buffalo, and that was going to bring maybe a new set of circumstances. Well, now it's his first road game, his first Big Ten game. Um, and, and he's under the lights again, and there's going to be you know a, a lot of that spotlight on Sean Clifford, and he's going to feel that whether he admits it or not. And, uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll see where the maturation is at this point. We talked about the weapons he has, and, and this team really struggled offensively coming out of the bye week last week, Sean. It was one of the big head scratchers of 2018, the way they performed offensively against Michigan State after a week off. And I, I think they're going to come out sharper, but... Uh, until I see it, you know, I, I guess it's just that that may be wishful thinking, but I, I certainly think they have the the personnel, as we've said, to, to come out and put some points on the board in a hurry. Yeah, I think it's about with Clifford just getting him comfortable and, and maybe getting him into a rhythm with Pat Fryermuth early. I think that can be a key to this game is to get him going. We talked about the, in the Buffalo, the second half, getting ahead of the sticks by going to Fryermuth early. And I think they're going to have the opportunity to do so. There's a lot on these Maryland linebackers in this defense. And I'm kind of bleeding into our uh, our own point from last segment. But uh, yeah, it, Clifford's got the opportunity to, to take a step forward. 
Um, he's got to hit some of those deep balls, man. I mean, that's I feel like we're just harping on the same things over and over again. Um, he's got it. If he hits a couple of those deep balls, that thing that opens up everything else, and you got yourself an offense. If that doesn't happen, you're playing a 17 to 10 ball game and and, and holding on. Right now, I mean, it's it, I think his decision making in the run game has improved a little bit. Um, it's coming along, but it's just about uh, putting himself in the right spot to to get to those progressions, to get uh, off of his main receiver, maybe checking it down. Like to see the backs involved a little bit more. Of course, love to see a screen game, which uh, you obviously can't guarantee for, if you've been watching Penn State for the last five years. Love to see a little bit of a screen game. I think the the big one here is K.J. Hamler. And Temple scored twice from the slot. A um, couple of big plays for them, even though you know they, they, they kind of motioned some guys around. Isaiah Wright's a really good player for the Owls. Um, he was able to 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 do uh you know to get loose from the slot once um i think hamler has the speed and the quickness to to get away from those guys you mentioned antoine brooks who's a really good downhill player uh kind of plays some nickel kind of plays some safety can play a little corner can do a lot of different things um but kj hamler's faster than him he can get away from him so i'm curious to see what uh kind of use they have in mind for for hamler i think uh he's got an opportunity to blow this thing open and really have a big game yeah, Hamlet the last couple of games, three catches in each game, but but averaging more than 20 yards per catch. So we know that all you got to do is get the ball in his hands and uh, he can make some special things happen and maybe pick up yards that you were not anticipating. But I think where you look with K.J. Hamler is can you connect on one of those deep shots that, that you did not against Pitt? Because, again, I think that is the difference. And you said if you, if you can't, then you're looking at a one-possession game, and that means, again, eight points or fewer as a one-possession game. And, and I think if you get into a situation where you can find K.J. on a shot or two, then I think you can blow the doors off this game a little bit. Um, I, I don't foresee them going up by 31 points. I don't see another you know, 63-3 game or even a 38-3 game. Uh, but I think you know, connect on a couple of those shots. That's where it appears you have an advantage again with your athleticism. I said Maryland has players to take you over the top. Penn State has a few of them. And the other one here, I think, you know, we talk about the completion percentage downfield because they are uh, really looking for those long gains and chunk plays. But take what you're given as well. I mean, if it's just not there – you're better off, you know, checking it down to one of these very talented running backs, or finding your man Pat Fryermuth in single coverage, and, and there's opportunities there to pick up five or six yards. And, and we've seen on some of these drives when Penn State has looked their best, it's because they're able to establish themselves with second and threes, and, and, and you know, and, and third and twos, and instead of looking at a third and eight, third and nine situation, that's I think a, been a big kind of component to when you look at their third down a conversion. That's not saying a whole lot, but. Uh, Sean, to me, you know, that's going to be a big vocal point, getting those deep completions. But I do think you don't want to allow your mind to go downfield so often to where you're kind of looking directly past some really nice little opportunities that that are going to move the chains, that are going to give your running back an opportunity to shine. Um, You know, I, I think those opportunities will be there. If you chip, 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 and boom this team, I mean, you can you can get one down the field, and not only do you get the opportunity to open it up for some of those other guys, Tino Ellis has three pass interference calls this year. Jordan Mosley's a step slow um, at safety. So you've got an opportunity to draw some penalty yardage down the field, which I think can really flip some things. If you're going to play a field position game, which I'm not sure that this is going to be um, completely, I know James Franklin's fairly confident uh, and comfortable playing in that field position game, but they still got to take their shots, even if that means you know a pass interference here, a pass interference there um you, you know you're going to pick up yards any way that you can and i think i do think the deep ball you know provided the conditions are fine and they, they appear to be you know in, in good shape there um you have an opportunity to do that against this defense as maryland's been burnt by it especially by temple who's not not really a big play team 
And this is a game as well. We talk about the passing game and you want to see some of the big plays and some fireworks from this group. But I think, you know, don't be afraid to, I don't think they're afraid, but uh, you know, I think there's an opportunity for this team maybe to embrace its ground game in a way we haven't seen before. You know, we hear the coaching staff speak so highly of all four running backs, you know, give them their opportunities. We've seen with limited sample size, you know, Ricky Slade's fumble aside, they've been good collectively with ball security in key moments. Uh, they've shown the ability to get in the end zone on short yardage. They've shown the ability uh, to prolong possessions with their receiving skills. Um, there is, uh, I think, a, a lot of opportunity with this running back group uh, where you can lean on them a bit more. You can you can amplify the touches for a few of these guys. And I know to this point, it's been rare to see anybody get more than seven, eight touches out of this backfield. Um, and, but I think maybe those numbers, you know, across the group, uh, uh, maybe you see those goes up, go up. And I'm just, I'm just thinking if they think so highly of this running back group, the way we all think very highly of this running back group, do everything you can to, to get them going, each of them going. And if you're going to break it down series by series, you know, put, put, present them with opportunities to, to take the bull by the horn and show you why they are your feature back of the future. Over this last couple of years, Penn State's actually done pretty well against odd fronts. Uh, you saw Washington a couple of years ago, um, but they're going to have an opportunity to run the ball inside a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how that, uh, you know, how much we see from from those guards if they get going, because these guards are basically, and, and Michael Mennon as well at center, are basically going to match up with just one-on-one with these uh, interior defensive linemen. Like I said, they only play two of them or three of them at a time. So it's going to be a lot of one-on-ones and and really they're, they're nothing spectacular up front. So they've got an opportunity to clear that out it's it's mostly about the linebackers when you're talking about uh maryland stopping the run so you got an opportunity to, to spread those guys out you've got some speed with jones you've got a good player with ely chance campbell's a, a pretty uh heady player as well so you, you know the, i think you've got an opportunity to spread those guys out get in their way and get some traffic on and i think if you can get through that we saw it with uh journey brown's big run last week if you can get through some of that traffic you can squirt out the other side and you've got an opportunity to to, to bust a big one in the run game yeah, and this just feels like a prime time setting that's perfect for KJ Handler to come up big. You know, and his it's it's been a year and a, a year and a few games of his college career. He just seems to be a guy that when the spotlight is shining and, and he knows there's that big audience, he, he comes up with it. It's just kind of the kind of kid he is. I, and I am anticipating one. I think I mentioned this in, in my prediction. We'll get to predictions now, Sean. Uh, you know, part of the reason I think they will win this game by more than what the spread is. The spread is about a touchdown at this point. Um, I think KJ Handler is going to get one of those big uh, downfield plays, long distance touchdowns. I think you're going to see the running game uh, look like it has more rhythm than, than than against Pitt. And I think it's going to produce a couple guys who get to the end zone. And uh, late in the game, I think that'll give them a two-touchdown lead, 34-20. to 20. Um, But I do think Maryland's going to come out of the gates and, and look like they are totally amped up for this. But I think Penn State will have a counter to it. And, and ultimately, I think across the board, Penn State has a way they'll be able to bring in rotations that Penn State, that Maryland won't have answers for as the game wears on. We've really seen Penn State surge away from Maryland in recent matchups as the game progressed. Different coaching staff this time, I get it. They have some nice transfers who have you know, helped things out, uh, but I still kind of foresee Penn State being able to gain that separation in the second half and, and improving to 4-0. It's, it's worth noting Maryland's played the transfer market very well so far. They've gotten some production from some of those guys, and you don't need to hit on all of them, but anytime you can get on a guy like Keandre Jones, who, you know, if he keeps this up, can be an all-Big Ten uh, you know, uh, guy that's at least mentioned in the first couple of teams or an honorable mention. So that's that's certainly good. I have 27-17. I've been back and forth on this. I'm thinking, you know, Maryland's going to cover, but then I just, I'm curious to see where the points would come from. I watched 
a lot of Josh Jackson this week, which makes me think that that there's not going to be a ton of points. Um, if Penn State can shut down the running game, I think they can cover and go for it. Uh, like I said, 27-17, I've been kind of all over the place. Uh, Penn State's got to show that they can hit those deep shots, hit those big plays, and go from there. So I think it's uh, you know it's a game that I can see going a couple of ways, but I, I do see a slow first half and then sort of uh, growing apart as the game goes on. You mentioned where is that uh, big play going to come from? Yeah, I, I, I think you know it's it's Anthony McFarland is going to produce some points, but the the special teams you just wonder if Maryland's going to have anything there. Uh, they're 0 for one on the season on field goals, so kind of jury's out. We don't know what their field goal unit looks like. They had an extra point block last week. They had a terrible fake field goal against Temple that ended in, in just a major loss of yardage. So uh, special teams you got to give the edge to Penn State here. We we know they have their weapons. Um, and, and so, uh, Mark's score, by the way, very similar to yours, 28-17 from Mark Brennan. Uh, Sean, recruiting news, uh, I guess the, the biggest thing here in the past couple weeks uh, has been the bi-week uh, travels of this coaching staff. As usual, they logged a bunch of miles. Yeah, they were all over the place. Terry Smith even got out to Texas and California. But James Franklin's the one we tra- we track mostly. He started his weekend in uh, in Virginia. I think this is the where we kind of left off on the last podcast talking about this. Started in Virginia, of course. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Keandre Lambert. Sorry, I forgot his first name there for a second. Keandre Lambert uh, going to decide in early October. So I want to get down and see and see in front of him. They went to uh, see Elijah Gaines, who's a guy that uh, Brian Doan and I. I think you put one in as well. Put in a Penn State crystal ball pick. Could see that one um, going to the Nittany Lions at basically any time. Um, he he had an official visit a couple of weeks ago. Was really impressed with uh, with what he saw. And Penn State needs safeties. Of course, in the Virginia area, they, they dropped in on Tyler Warren, who's playing quarterback. And would I send you the stat line for him last week while we were away? It was like he threw eight passes and had five touchdown passes. Uh, ran so, for one. And, yeah. Ran for one. Yeah, he's obviously playing uh, quarterback. He's going to be a tight end here. But, you know, it's still uh, anytime you can get a guy that like that, that, you know, you clearly can play a little bit of football wherever you put him. Um, certainly a good thing. And speaking of tight end, uh, went from Virginia to Canada to see Theo Johnson. Theo went to Georgia this weekend, had a really good visit at Georgia, as we knew that he would. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an opportunity for for Penn State to sort of get their faces out there. He knew they were coming. He knew that they showed up for the for his game. And uh, that's cer- certainly something when you're talking about the relationship that he does have with the staff that, that matters a lot with Theo Johnson. Uh, Friday, they, they they went and saw Curtis Jacobs play. McDonough played Bullis, which has uh, Christian Veyu, the 2021 quarterback. Curtis Jacobs, man, he's a freaking monster. He got his Under Armour jersey uh, this week. I feel like every time we talk about him, we talk about him being the best player on the field. Of course, they've got some some quality underclassmen at McDonough as well. So um, Franklin just all over the place. Went up and saw Jaden Dotton on Saturday. So just really a uh, typical bye week for him. And this is something that coaches do all over the country is when they have their bye weeks. It's when they got to get out and see these guys. Different than the period that you'll see in, in December when they can actually go out on the road and go in-house. These are evaluation days so they're not stopping by to talk to the kid and and uh you know coming in and seeing the parents and shaking hands and all that kind of stuff kind of got to keep your distance for for the law standpoint of things but whenever you can get out and get seen in some of your top targets especially for guys that are deciding soon like lambert and and possibly Gaines and maybe even theo johnson probably in november um it's it's certainly a big opportunity for you to do so yeah, Franklin said that Terry Smith, uh, I guess, logged up the most miles, the bonus points or whatever. He was out in Texas, California, and and then they all had Saturday practice. So, yeah, not much R&R during the bye week for this staff. 
Um, Sean, a couple notes here, uh, both out of Virginia. Uh, one is R.J. Adams, offensive lineman, uh, no longer uh, a member of the Penn State class, no longer a committed player with, with Penn State. He had been committed since uh, springtime. Um, they're now down to 25 commitments. They picked up a, a few already this month, Zariah Fisher and then a couple offensive linemen uh, with Devin Willock and, and uh, Ibrahim Traore. But again, on the offensive line, uh, their third uh, loss from a, from a group that looked a lot different um, as summer was arriving. You had R.J. Adams, Grant Tutant, um, and then Aaron Parks in this group, all of them uh, you know, exploring their options elsewhere or already finding options elsewhere. Yeah, Adams is a guy we took off the commitment list, uh, I think a week and a half ago, uh, finally uh, went public with his decommitment. This is something that, you know, as we talked about on one of these episodes, he went to Kentucky for an official visit and it was, you know, that's not what the staff wanted him to do. And, uh, you know, there was an interesting um it's just interesting the way that this uh, sort of pops up. I'm uh, not going to get into it too deep on the podcast, but uh, Penn State didn't want him to visit. He did visit. Uh, all of a sudden, he's not committed to, to Penn State anymore. I don't see him coming back around. Uh, I don't think this, you know, is... If you look at the decommitments from the uh, the rest of the offensive linemen, you've got really their own sort of options there. Uh, Aaron Parks is a similar situation where he wanted to take visits and did not feel Penn State was up front with him. Grant Tutant was taking visits uh, and really wasn't telling Penn State about all the visits that he took to Ohio State. And so we'll see where it goes with this. Penn State, of course, got the commitment from uh, Devin Willock to start the year, Ibrahim Traore. So they're still good with numbers there. They're still looking for tackles. James Pogorelk's the guy that we've talked about a few times that Penn State's starting to sort of get going you know, with contact there. He's been offered by Stanford and Tennessee and Virginia lately. Um, so certainly a senior riser there. But, you know, you've, you've got these numbers. I don't think you're, you're panicking about your offensive line numbers, but it's certainly uh, interesting to see how much uh, turnover there's been over the last uh, four or five months. And as we talk about the uh, the highs and lows and the roller coaster that this recruiting cycle has been for Penn State at times, um, another opportunity for for a big pickup uh, coming up next Friday. Um, that's when Keandre Lambert, the wide receiver um, out of Maury High School in Norfolk, Virginia, plans to announce his decision. He's a guy that we've spoken about uh, for a while now in terms of being one of t- Penn State's top priority targets, uh, a receiver who ranks among the top 20 or so in the country when you look at 24-7 sports evaluation. And as I said for a while, um, I think him, Theo Johnson, are, are kind of the two big pieces that uh, either one really bolsters your offensive haul in the 2020 class. Yeah, you've got Lambert, and obviously the top receiver target left. Of course, you know they're still talking to Julian Fleming, but uh, we have to give him a courtesy mention here. Um, but uh, Lambert, the top realistic one, they're still talking to Theo Johnson. Uh, Going to decide probably in November. They're still on him. I mean, you get an official visit from Darnell Washington, which is kind of you know it's kind of lip service at this point. But you hope it could turn into more. But he's likely uh, headed for Georgia. Jalen Berger, obviously a big time target, still left out there. Penn State went and saw him uh, not this past week weekend but they saw him earlier in the in the season you can only go see these guys once so still um some legitimate targets out there and like i said i think gains could pop at any minute um so we'll see what happens with him yeah another player out of virginia and uh dmv that whole area that's going to be in the spotlight again maryland's going to try to win over uh that recruiting uh, footprint and try to expand it that's always been the edict for the terps under these different coaches is to keep those kids home 
a lot are coming home this week in the form of uh, guys like P.J. Mustafer and Cam Brown and Tariq Castro-Fields and Rasheed Walker, former top Maryland prospects in a Penn State uniform, looking to pick up a win, improve the 4-0. As Sean and I both told you, we expect them to do that. Um, you heard our predictions. Uh, continue to check out our coverage on Lions 24-7. Uh, we'll be trying something new, Sean. We're going to go for the podcast, uh, post-game podcast, uh, from the road for the first time here. And uh, we'll give that a shot from uh, College Park on Friday. As we said, I will be down at the stadium with Mark Brennan. Sean's going to be at the uh, Command Central uh, here in State College. And uh, we'll do our best to bring that to you in a timely fashion. And if you're driving home after this game and you're driving down there, hopefully we'll have that up for you and make the drive uh, back a little bit easier if you feel like hearing the retelling of, of however this game does turn out. Yeah, I'm interested to see how this one uh, does turn out, not only in the game, but the podcast, because you'll be on the road. I'll be at home and it's a Friday night and I, that, that might have an impact on my ability to podcast, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll get one out to you no matter what. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. We've gone for almost an hour here on a Thursday afternoon. We'll get this up as soon as we can. For now, stepping away, Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast. <laughs>